And for example, uh, Jean-Luc has uh, five years of experience. Diego, you have uh, seven years of experience and I have 10. It doesn't mean that I have, with my 10 years experience, have more experience than Jean-Luc. But you also can have uh, more experience than Jean-Luc has. So, so when we talk about years, what does it mean? What do you have to, what do you have to do with the experience that you have as a person? Yes. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Convos. I'm your host, Diego, together with my co-host, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc, welcome back. How have you been? Good. It's different. The, the lightning is different, but also because we're, we're recording this in the afternoon for us. Uh, quick announcement, we're on YouTube at convos.com. So if you're watching the live stream or if you're just watching the rerun, subscribe to our channel, youtube.com at convos. We're also on Instagram at convos and also subscribe to our newsletter that you may or may not have received yet at convos.substack.com to get all the new updates when we get new guests and new interesting topics. So subscribe there for you know, some tight-knit content and some very curated content. So <laughs> with that being said, John, look, I'm handing it over to you to introduce our guest for today. Yes. So today's guest, and I hope she recalls it a little better than I do, but we actually met in Suriname at the fund, I think, if I remember correctly, because she was on vacation and we had a conversation. And I think our first conversation was already a pretty fun one because she has Surinamese roots. And she works in, especially in diversity, but let me say it correctly, diversity, equity, and equality, and inclusion. And she's one of, I wouldn't say necessarily say the pioneers, but one of the people spending the most time on really making people, but also organizations understand the power of having diversity on the work, in the workplace. And she does that, of course, in the Netherlands, but she also has strong ties to Suriname. She's been here a couple of times in the past years and also at the social media conference last year and hopefully we're able to get her back here uh, as soon as possible so hopefully next year as well but also very importantly everything her knowledge that she acquired over the years not only does she help organizations every day to be more diverse and be have more equality on, on in the workplace she also wrote a book about it which i have in my hand here the inclusive organization this is the dutch version but today we'll actually talk about the English version because if I remember correctly, that book will be on the shelves very, very soon. So without further ado, we'd like to welcome Madhu Madura. Madura, welcome to Social Confos. Thank you. And it's really nice to be here and talk with you about uh, diversity, equity, inequality, uh, and inclusion. And thank yes. you for the nice so, introduction. So the the... The acronym, right? How do you pronounce it in English? Is it different from Dutch if you say diversity, equity, and uh, equality and inclusion? What is it pronounced in, uh, in, like in, in Dutch and what is it pronounced in like in English? <laughs> yeah, so in, in, in English it's diversity. And in, 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 in Dutch you say diversiteit. So it doesn't really, it isn't really different. And inclusion and 
inclusie. So that's also very the same. But when we look at equity and equality, I use the word in Dutch uh, gelijkwaardigheid because that comes more close. Uh, okay. And then the acronym is like DEI. Do you pronounce it D-E-I or do you pronounce it? Can you pronounce it as like a single word mentioning all three of them? Not really. It's like DEI or in Dutch I say uh, DGI. So Diversgelijkwaardigheid uh, and Inclusie. But in a lot of organizations I see that uh, some organizations say, okay, we use DNI, so Diversity and Inclusion. Other organizations use Diversity intersectionality so that's a different word and inclusion okay. or or dni or a lot of organizations also uh, put racism in there so that because they're working on to be anti-racist and they have an anti-racist policy so it's really different and it depends on the focus of the organization so the common denominators are diversity and inclusion from all the examples you just mentioned there Like, where does this trend come from? I get the diversity and inclusions, but why is there so much debate on the equality, equity, and the, the, the different specificities that go into it? Yeah. Yeah, when, when we look um, at diversity, it, it's sometimes I heard it, uh, people are asking me, is it a trend? But when we look back, diversity has always been here because uh, we are all very diverse. When we look at age, religion, sexuality, uh, where you were born or raised, your norms and values that you got from, from home, but also the education that you had. So we are all really are very diverse. When we look at inclusion, I think for the last years, there, there has been a focus on inclusion because a lot of times people are being excluded. So we saw that after Black Lives Matter, but also in the Netherlands, we had some incidents and a lot of people were talking, okay, but do I get equal opportunities within my organization? And when we look at equal opportunities, we're saying, okay, we all, you all get the same opportunities, but the same opportunities doesn't give everyone the same results. So we have to look at, okay, what do you need as a person to succeed within the organization? And You can be, have a really diverse organization or an inclusive organization, but if you don't give chances, equal chances, or, or have equity, give people what they need, then there is a structure where only a few people can succeed. And we see that a lot in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, when you look at the top in the boards, you, you see a lot of white men in their 40s and 50s. So what's happening, they are deciding, okay, what is our policy? who can decide or make decision uh, and where's the power. So if we want to have more inclusion, it's really important that we have diversity in all those layers within the organization. Well, there are a lot of memes on the internet or pictures yeah. and things showing the difference between equity and equality, right? So yeah. if, if you would, for people that are less aware of it, could you shortly describe like in simple terms, the difference between equality and equity yeah of course so I'm, i'm married to my husband robert and robert is two meters and i'm a i'm a bit shorter so let's say we'll all get we, robert and i all we both get a box a wooden box and if we stand on them on that box we can look over the fence but the fence is like one meter eighty. so robert doesn't need my husband doesn't need a box maybe i need two boxes so if we say equal opportunities we give every person the same And if, when we say, when we look at equity, 
then we are looking, okay, what do you need to look over the fence? Maybe you are shorter or maybe you are in a wheelchair and you need something else. So, so that's the difference to make it, to visualize it more the difference. <laughs> I think that's a very clear visualization, especially as you mentioned the height differences, because I was already picturing it, having Robert stand there just looking over the fence. Yeah. So in other words, is not giving everybody the same tool or whatever they need yeah. equally, but what's the gap that they exist and how do you fill that gap to get on one starting level in that sense, right? And when you translate it, for, for example, in, within an organization, Let's say you need a, a certain degree, but you don't really need it for the role you have in the organization, but we really think it is important. And so what happens is some people were allowed to study and other people maybe weren't because of issues for money or because they were taking care of the family or there were different things, but they have the knowledge and they can, they can really succeed in that role. But do you really need that certain type of education or do you need to know what you have to do to succeed? And that you also see that uh, when you look at years of experience uh, in, in job vacancies, sometimes you see, okay, you have to have seven years of experience. And for example, uh, Jean-Luc has uh, five years of experience. Diego, you have uh, seven years of experience and I have 10. It doesn't mean that I have with my 10 years experience have more experience than Jean-Luc. But you also can have uh, more experience than Chanukah. So, so when we talk about years, what does it mean? What do, you have to, what do you have to do with the experience that you have as a person? It, it doesn't translate directly into the quality no. of the experience in the, the density of how much you can actually execute on the job. And yeah. I, I want to go back to the example, because in your example of the height, that's something yeah. you can't change. You can't control how tall you're, you're going to grow up. Yeah. So those are some non-negotiables, but something like skills yeah. or a way of thinking or education, these are things that can be taught. So how does that differ for, from the perspective of you don't have that, you know, something you can't influence versus something yeah. you can influence, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. A lot of times I, in my training, I ask the question, what is more important for an organization? Is it talent or is it diversity? So if I would ask you that question, what would you answer? Wow, so that's, that's very <laughs> confronting uh, question. But I think my first reaction, it, to a talent to a certain degree, yes, but diversity to a certain degree as well. I wouldn't say okay. one is exclusively more important than the other. I think it depends on okay. the situation. I would first ask, like, important in what context? So I need more context because as you just asked the question, which is more important, there's is a very broad question. So I think for certain things, one might weigh more than the other and for other things. Yeah. Uh, if you're a niche company, but this is a good question, by the yeah. way. If you're a niche company and you, are this, you want a certain type of talent and you outsource everything mm -hmm. else that's not within your core, I would think talent would make more sense. But if you're a company that really is full surface, I think diversity mm -hmm. becomes more important. So I think that also includes what Diego means with, with context. But we're really interested in your expert opinion right now because <laughs> our minds are like circling around at the moment. <laughs> so when we look at talent, um, a lot of times talent is how we perceive it also within the organization. 
So when people are really extrovert, uh, we really like if, if, if other people, our colleagues are extrovert and the chances you get in the organizations are much larger. So talent, sometimes we see as what, what is already within the organization, but we don't see the talent we are missing. And sometimes we are biased. So when we see talent, it really looks like us. So maybe you're really spontaneous, enthusiastic, or uh, like you have entrepreneurial skills. If you see that with another person, you will think that is, that is a talent. But what is the talent that an organization needs? And when you look at diversity, diversity is also talent. Because sometimes I hear, okay, but talent is more important because talent is talent. But who decides what talent is? Is it, a, is it the sitting management that is saying, okay, we, we need talent that looks, looks like us and can talk like us and can act like us, like the old boys network? Or do we need a um, different kind of talent? For example, if you have an organization and um, Jean-Luc, you, you said something about services, you really need to know your, your, your customers. So you need, really need those different perspectives within your organization. And if you only have, let's say I have an organization and they all have the talents that I have, we really, <laughs> I think we're missing out on connecting with our customers, with our clients, with our employees. So you need both, but you have to define what is talent for our organization and what do we need? And also have the, those different perspectives that come from, comes from diversity. So, so here's the interesting thing, because I know a lot of situations with, with companies where I wouldn't say it goes wrong, but it's, it's kind of on a slippery slope at the moment. And these organizations yeah. often deal with the issue yeah, but and, and to go back to the, the example with the height and putting boxes mm -hmm. underneath to create equity, it's like, yeah, but those boxes cost too much or it's too mm -hmm. much of a hassle to put it in. Yeah. And just looking very one-dimensional at, at, yeah. at the numbers and saying like, hey, but the gap is too big. Do I really? Because it doesn't feel like a win-win. It just feels like I would have to invest this much in diversity. Yeah. So what would you say? to companies or organizations that they lack the diversity purely from a kind of egoistic investments perspective that they're saying like, yeah, but to, to close that gap, it's too much of a, of a hassle. Yeah. So I think it's, that's really a short uh, term thinking, just only looking at the input. Because when you look at diversity and also different uh, studies show that diverse teams are more innovative and make uh, more profit. But there has to be an inclusive environment. Otherwise, there cannot be a diversity. So when you say, okay, it costs too much, cost is most of the time the first thing that we're looking at. So it's short term. When you look at long term and also the continuity for your organization, it's really something you need. Let me give an example. A few weeks ago, I was, I was at a big law firm at the Zuidas in, in Amsterdam. And we talked about, okay, our customers are asking us, how inclusive are you as an organization? This is a question. question. Big, large companies are asking the, the law firms and they have to prove it. Not only the numbers. So not saying, okay, 20, 30, 40% are women, but also what is your policy about inclusion? And when people exclude, what are you doing? So not only uh, saying it, but also doing it. 
So what you see is that companies can say, okay, but this is not important. But if your customers say, okay, this is really important for us and you're losing those customers, then it, it, has, it is really a problem for your continuity. So short term and long term. And when you work on inclusion and you have all those different perspectives, nobody told me, and I know it from experience, that it would be easy. So you have to work on it. You have to learn those skills to be, for example, a more inclusive leader. Or when you have a meeting, how can we make sure that that meeting is inclusive? So yes, you have to work in it, but this is not something that's going to happen overnight. So that comes from a culture, I'd say, or or a business landscape. In your example, like the big companies already request that from the the law firm for example yeah. and that has been kind of ingrained in the way of doing business because you need certain standards that you need to apply how would you view or in your experience if you look at the smaller more niche areas yeah. how does that apply to them if it's more yeah. like a b2c relationship yeah so the really nice thing of when you look at smaller companies or startups is that you don't have all those the legacy you don't already have a big organization with uh, some diversity characteristics that are already there um, and sometimes don't want to change because there is uh, like a like a fixed mindset we have to do it like this and we have to do it like that but when when new talent enters the organizations uh, let's say gen z we have to work together so Gen Z has to learn from the or from the people that are all already in the organization and the other way around. We have to learn from each other because all different generations have really different knowledge and, and how we, when we look at skills, how we do things, but also what we know. And that generation is just one of the many diversity characteristics that are that exist. So when we look at small companies, I think there is really a chance because when you hire people, and when you're growing, you can em- embed it in your strategy. And you can, you can think about, okay, what market do we want to serve? Um, and do we have some, some person of that market or that re- represents that market already in our business or in our organization? So I think for startups, it's really, it, it, it's really a good thing to think about it when you're growing because you don't have the legacy. And you have the choice. And so that's, that's really, I think it, it, um, it's, it's, you, you have a four-sprung building, I, I forgot the word. <laughs> you have a step forward. You have an you advantage. Have a step you have forward, a huge the advantage. Yeah. yeah, you have a huge I, have, one, I, mean, yeah. I look at, I look at it from, from my personal perspective of experience. Yeah. I think diversity yeah. for, for startups is the easiest thing because you start from scratch, especially if you're a yeah. young company and, and, and you already put in like a, a structure that's less hierarchical, but more, more, what do you call it? Horizontal structure. It really helps a lot. But I mean, I think the hardest, when I hear this, I think the hardest, the companies that have the most difficulty with these are like family businesses where you have to take over an existing structure of 60 to a couple of hundred people that have always Mm -hmm. worked in a certain way for 40 years. I mean, then it becomes really difficult because then you have the generational even discrimination, the, the age discrimination as well. But it's yep. interesting that you mentioned how many different factors and, and criteria and characteristics there are. I think I found two things that I really found interesting. 
The first one is the, I think it was 13 different identity threads or even more. But the one that I really want to get to in your book, in, in, in the Dutch version of your book, you already showed the progress of different, of the, the discrimination based on certain character, yeah. characteristics within the Netherlands. And these aren't like straight lines going up or going down. These are going like it's, it's with ebbs and flows. And I think that's a really yeah. interesting thing. And let's yeah. start, for in the instance, with, with the gender discrimination, which perceived by developments in the past years or in the past decades, you would think gender mm -hmm. discrimination would go down a lot. But actually, I don't think that really is the case. So how can it be that even though we talk more and more and more about gender discrimination in the workplace, the data doesn't show an actual real drop of gender discrimination. Yeah. I think there are um, different factors that, um, that, are, that, are, that, are, that are at play here. So get, uh, let's give one, uh, I will explain one of the factors. I just told you in the Netherlands, uh, when we look at boards, um, we have a lot of white men in boards. So when we decide if someone comes in the board, who decides for who? So when we look at structures, as when we look at power, we see a lot of men holding power. So when, when we want to work on a more uh, equal or equitable playground or work uh, where we work, it's really important that we make those decisions together. When we look at the pay gap in the Netherlands, I think it's 13 or 14 percent, the pay gap between men and women. But that's just one diversity characteristic. So men, women. When we look at men, women of color, we know that the gap is larger. But that's something that you cannot measure because you can't measure everything. Um, and when we look at men and women with um, a disability, we also know that the gap is it's, it's really larger. But what is white men, women of color with a disability? So when you look at measure and what we measure, a lot of times it's just gender. And when you only focus on one diversity characteristics, you're excluding other diversity characteristics. So one thing is power. Another thing is, is that we, have an, we, we give equal chances. So for example, you're in a team and you can give one of your team members a promotion. And one of your team members is at, is, is at a maternity leave. And what happens? The person that is not there doesn't get the promotion. And that's really strange because it's about the knowledge. It's about your added value for the organization. And also when you look at childcare, we still see that mothers have more, take more care, take more care in, in, in the house or children and things like that. So when you want to take your children to daycare, we still have the normal times. So that means that you have to go, it's like the, the office hours, you have to bring your kid and get your kid from daycare. So there has to be some changes within the system. So we don't have to change women because we have to speak out louder or do more. We have to change the system. So we all get those boxes we need to succeed. And now you see that the boxes are there for the people that can already succeed in that, in that structure we built. And when you 
when you are when when you want to change that system, it also then you also get resistance because for some people they will say, okay, but what does it mean for me? Do I get less chances? And it's not a pie. So it's not a pie that you get a smaller piece. It isn't like that. But we have to change the mindset that if we want to change and we want to work on a more um, equality or equity, then we have to do things really different. My mind's going different directions right now. So I'm going to try to <laughs> go, <laughs> go one specific direction. But you brought up equity and equality again, right? Especially with the yeah. differences in men, women of color, and added, and added layer, someone with the disabilities. Yeah. And usually it's about, if you're looking at a pure merit perspective, it's what can you contribute in the ex- actual workspace? What mm-hmm. can you contribute to the company? Whereas in the example of the board with the, usually the white males in, in the board, there's also a degree of, from my perspective, not just power, but also influence and kind of the relationships that they have. And so it's, it's not purely based on merit. It's based on relationship and kind of the baggage they've been brought in with. And because they have a legacy of a track record, they get included in different boards, different positions more easily. Yeah. So coming back to fill that gap for equity for say a woman of color, yeah. how can they then compete or close that gap if they don't have the legacy? Because they're starting basically from zero. Coming back to your example. We have to make some the- steps. So it's not yeah. really zero, but we made some steps. <laughs> yeah. 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 But coming but back I know to what the, you, uh, example, understand. Yeah. you know, we already we talk about the system and we need to change that, but where do yeah. these boxes to step on come from? I think we have to create them ourselves. And what for me, I'm I'm bicultural. So when I, I was born and raised in the Netherlands, and for, for me, a lot of times that was a struggle because you have your own roots, but you also have the Dutch culture. So it was also always a little bit searching, okay, who am I as a person? How do I behave? Because sometimes in, in my house or in the family, it was different than in school or what, what was expected from me in organizations. So for example, speak up. If you have a seat at the table, you have to speak up. And at home, I learned, okay, we have to be more humble. So for me, that was and, really and a, a certain a amount of respect as well, right? It's also a sign of respect to, yeah. in certain cases, not interfere or anything like that. Yeah. And, and that's really, that's a good thing that you say that, Jean-Luc, because if you look at respect, uh, Dutch people also have respect, but it's different. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just different. And I, if when you don't grow up with those rules and you go and you work and then you, you'll see the, the rules, but you cannot touch them. And you think, okay, but how do I have to act on this? Because you want to be respectful and you want to be humble and you want to be yourself. But you also want to succeed within the organization because you have some kind of talent. So for me, it was really a, a struggle. And that's not only for me. 25% of the Netherlands is bicultural. So that means that you, have, you grew up in different cultures. And I think there was a survey that in 2050, it will be 40%. What you see now is that a lot of organizations want to be more inclusive because they really need that, 
that diverse talent because there is a dwarf of talent. So organizations can have can have a lot of vacancies, but talents are really picky at the moment. So they rule the whole labor market right now, and they are asking questions. Okay, but how is inclusion within your organization? Do I get equal chances? And please, can you prove how you do it? So not just tell me, but show me how you're doing this. So what you see is there is a shift. There's a shift going on and talents are demanding inclusion. And organizations cannot just say, from, okay, yeah, we think it's really important because you have to show it. Customers and big, large companies are saying, okay, we're going to work together, but we are working on inclusion. So <laughs> I want you also to be inclusive. Please show me, please prove, uh, prove it to me. So we're changing the system from different uh, sides and different corners and angles, but it's, it's going slowly. So I have an, a non-Dutch or a new Dutch back uh, of last name. And also research show that if you have a, a Dutch, a not Dutch uh, last name, that the chances that you are invited to a job interview are lower. If you wear a scarf or a, um, a hijab, the chances that you are invited are lower. And that's crazy because that's about my diversity. It's not about my talent. So there is something going on and there has been um, a lot of issues in the Netherlands. Um, and because of those issues, uh, people speak up more. Yeah. Okay, let's try it then. Looking at the the culture, you're, you're mainly focused on yeah. research in the Netherlands and the bicultural yeah. thing is kind of rising as well. But if you look at the cultures where the people with bicultures originate from, where that's mainly. So how is the stance there compared to that of the Netherlands? And do they feel more at home there? And if they move to somewhere like the Netherlands, it basically feels like a discrimination of culture. How do you perceive that or, or how have you observed that from people coming from other cultures or multi-cultures? Yeah, but what I see, each country has their own challenges. So also when you look at culture and you look at history, and I also work with a lot of international companies that are not only based in the Netherlands, but also in Europe or in Asia and so on. And when you work with different cultures and also in different uh, countries, uh, a really good thing happens. And that's that you get more familiar with those different cultures. And then it's not only about cultures, but it's also about values. So how do we work together? And when you look at culture, that's a, also a diversity characteristic. And when we work on inclusion, it doesn't matter what diversity characteristic you have as a person, we're going to include you. So when you look at, at research, I can see that every country has their own issues and also based on different diversity characteristics. And it differs. So it differs if, it's, if you work for an international company or a Dutch company. And also when you work for a company where you have a lot of, for example, a lot of women working over there, the culture can also be different. So it's not cultural, but the culture can be different. So it's really important that organizations also think about when we describe our culture, what are our core, core values? Because my culture as bicultural can be different than somebody who was also raised, born and raised in the Netherlands, but also has roots in Suriname. 
So culture can be different for everyone, for, but within organizations, you have to describe what the culture is and what it isn't. Okay, so what I, what I find really interesting is, um, I wouldn't say it's called a buzzword, but a lot of companies want to be employer of choice now. So that's the main thing that they yeah. promote. And then they promote their company culture. And then people apply for a job there. They start working there. And they realize mm -hmm. that the company culture that's presented towards the outside is not actually the company culture that the company really has, even though it's written in a mission and vision. But yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't connect one-on-one -on -one with what is being said and what is actually happening yeah. within a company. And then one of the things, and this is the last thing I'm going to take out of the book as well, is that one of the things that is going down is the discrimination of age. But yeah. I was wondering if the discrimination of age is going down because companies are more aware that they need to hire young people or they are just searching, actively searching for, for new people to work for those companies. So is there actually a, a positive societal change that made it possible that there's less age discrimination now than there previously was in the Netherlands? What you see is when you go, for example, I know that 40 plus and also going up 50, it's really difficult to find a job. And that is that is that depends on different factors. That can be because your your wage is higher, your retirement fees are higher, but also can can you do you have a growth mindset and can you change within the organization? But that's also when you look at, for example, millennials that are just starting. And when you when you applying for a, a senior function, we also always think of somebody that is older. But if you're a senior, you can be 21, 22. So the, the senior or the, or the junior doesn't say anything about what you can do. And also, I'm 41 and I, I can easily have a junior position. It doesn't say anything about my, my age. So there is an age, so when you're young, people perceive, perceive you as having uh, less experience or knowledge or doesn't know how the culture works. And if you're past a certain age, people will think, okay, but can you change? So when we look at age discrimination, it's really strange because there are different groups. Uh, but within the Netherlands, we see that if you are uh, have a different background, so an ethnic background, or a different religion sometimes, religions that you can see, for example, that is also where you are discriminated on. So you're discriminated on age, but also on this, or also on that. And, and when we look at age, um, some organizations want to um, hire younger people because they are, for example, in trouble with innovation. But are you looking for talent or are you looking for diversity characteristics? What are you looking for? And I think uh, also in a world of talent now, organizations can choose. A few years ago, when you had a vacancy, organizations could choose like 10, 20, 30, 40 people were, were applying to the job. And that isn't, that isn't anymore. You mentioned war of talent, I think a few times now. Yeah. And can you elaborate for people not familiar with that? Because I know it's something very prevalent in the uh, Netherlands right now that yeah. companies are looking for talent and not just yeah. within the Netherlands, but looking I for think it's expats, a worldwide migrants. Phenomenon. I yeah. think, I think <laughs> like, it's for everyone. It's like, even yeah. in Suriname, it's, it's a war on talent. Like not on every position, but yeah. like there are a lot of positions being vacant right now because people just can't find, companies can't find the people to, to work in those positions. So, so 
There are some perfect exactly, but I, I'm trying to search or find any correlation between that movement or that incident or of war on talent versus the diversity and inclusion movement. Like, what what has suddenly created this war on talent that people either don't want to work or there's a lack of employees or people looking for jobs or is it that a bunch of the new generations just start their own thing what's happening in the world right now yeah what you what you see in in the netherlands is uh, a lot of people um, um when when they um finish school they start for themselves uh, but also when you study in school after four years uh, let's say you you pick up a, di- um, a direction and when you're ready the job is already changed So my daughter can study for um, some job in social media, but if she's ready, uh, the social media landscape is really different. And there are also also new jobs. So what you see in in the war on talent is that organizations have those uh, structures, the the systems and the procedures and everything is set in stone and they're looking for someone who can do all those things. But what we so, learn in school and in what we do in practice is can be different. And now what you see, there is a lot of work. And also what we see is after COVID that also changed. So there is a lot of work. We do a lot of things online. And in some sectors, more jobs are opening up. So talent can choose more than organizations can. But I don't know, Sean Luc, is that something you recognize yeah, I, also in Suriname? Yeah, I think I think it's we're not as much aware of it. Yeah. Because there there's also and the, the the thing that often and that's when it comes in, the talent can choose when the talent develops itself and becomes mm-hmm. valuable to different audiences and different organizations. Yeah. So I think that's also why there's less talent to choose from. Because sometimes young professionals deliberately choose to go into a field where they feel comfortable yeah. or don't want to work in a specific field that we used to have. And a lot of legacy jobs, for instance, are mm-hmm. going a waste. And I can't take, explain that from a, from a personal experience that I don't necessarily want to do what my parents did. Like, I like the things that they do. I like the companies that they built or the mm-hmm. brands that they built. But it's not necessarily that. I mean, looking from previous generations, previous generations felt much more obliged to take over mm-hmm. the family business yeah. compared to newer generations. I'm somewhat involved, but I know people from my generation who have just told their parents, like, maybe you should sell this because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be part of this family business. So sell it, bring it public, or sell shares, or just completely sell the company because I'm not interested in running the company mm-hmm. the same way that, that you would, which from a collectivist perspective, and we're national, our national culture, culture is pretty much collectivist. It's a big shock mm-hmm. because yeah. you would think like, no, it's a family business. You have to take over. But in, in some cases, that's, that's just not the case. And I think that's a fair for me personally is a very interesting dynamic. But I think Diego still has one more uh, question about the about inclusion itself. But after that, Diego, I want to go a little bit more to the social side of this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I, I wasn't an in-depth question per se. It was just a comment on when she mentioned, for example, 
you go to your four-year trajectory at the university and then once you're done the job changes like basically the time it gets it takes to get people to get ready to get the skills is too slow as technology and the job description changes much faster than that and the, the practical way would be to learn it on the spot because you need that, as you mentioned, the growth mindset, that curiosity for learning to develop those skills on the spot and yeah. kind of adapt to the situation. And so you, you can't go shopping like that anymore for the employers to go shopping yeah. for employees because it just changes so fast. You need, basically they need to educate or train them on the spot if you ask me, someone with a blank slate would be easier to form than someone who went through the trajectory and they need to unlearn some stuff. Yeah, that's just um, uh, one way I'm I'm viewing it. Just yeah, a, yeah. And, and I think that can also be true. Uh, and but the other side is also uh, so when we look at different perspectives, that but when you learn everything in um, in one spot, you you won't see what's happening around you. And that's really a good thing when you look at schools or interaction with each other, you learn more from each other and of each other. And so I think that's also really important to learn, um, but also learn from those different uh, perspectives, different um, opinions and, and things like that. Um, and also different companies if you worked at, at different companies. Uh, so that's really also an important thing. Um, and, and what I also see is that in the old days, you ha- when you wanted to go to a to university, you really had to be there at the moment. Now you don't have to be there. You have a lot of websites and apps and you can learn and get, in the, get a degree uh, of, on a university. So that's something else that's also changing, changing how we are learning as a person or what we need as a person. So I think um, a blank slave is okay, uh, but if you, fill, if you fill it in, there are, there are a lot of things that you're missing out. So from a personal perspective, how much has it helped for you personally? You've worked with so many different organizations, yeah. both from a consultant perspective, but also as an interim manager. Yeah. How much has that helped building your viewpoint and your expertise in this particular matter yeah. of, of inclusion and diversity? Yeah. A lot, <laughs> a lot. For example, when I was a commercial manager at a, at a company, um, when we talked about uh, communication, we, we always thought about, talked about, okay, who is our customer? What is the journey? And not the journey I want to see as a manager, but the journey um, on decision-making from the customer. And the decision-making is different for a customer that is a millennial or a Gen Z or different for someone that, that lives in, in the big city or in a small village. So that was something that was always on my, on my mind. And I was also, even in my, with my team members, also always asking, okay, is this your opinion? Is this your perspective? Or did we really talk to the customer? So building a bridge between the company and the products we are creating for the person or for, for the customer. But it was always in there. But also when you look at leadership, when we talk about leadership, we don't learn that in school or you have to go or you have to do a, like a management course or something like that. And then a lot of leaders talk about, okay, I have the female strengths or male strengths of leadership, but let's look at intersectional leadership. 
and then we're talking about okay what does the other person need because it's it's, it's like a family if you have I, I have one kid but if you have more kids no one is the same so you have to look at what does what does your kid or in this case your employee needs to grow also the boxes some someone would say okay one box is enough and another person would say okay i really need three boxes or help me out with this skill because i haven't learned it in school or at home so i think that's that's really important when you look at inclusive leadership but also social media and we we talked about social media and and we also train people on social media it's also about who are you talking to what is your message how do you want to connect and uh, a lot of times we forget the diversity that is in our customer base because we have personas and we have one two or three personas but that they aren't really diverse because they are the same type of persons and then you're missing out you're missing out the opportunities to sell more, for example, or to solve more problems for your customer. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned the part about everybody is their own, has their own kind of way of doing things, their own yeah. culture, their own identity. And I remember a long time ago having a discussion with one of my fellow colleagues about it. And she was like, do I have to, what was the exact, yeah, do I have to remember for every colleague how I should handle them? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what you need to do because that's the only way you're going to get them to do what you want. And mm -hmm. it was a big issue at the time because it was just like, yes, but I'm saying this and everybody should do it. And that's yeah. also one of the things that you run into when, when you have a company is that, yeah, at a certain point you start realizing, and, and I mean like young Entrepreneurs reached it, realized it at a, a much earlier age than in the past. Mm -hmm. Is that you cannot get people to, to do something you want them to do. Yeah. I mean, you can do it to a certain extent, but you can do it to a certain extent. At a certain yeah. point, it doesn't work. If that person doesn't want to do it, there's a disconnect. And this, I'm going to throw maybe, I wouldn't say a curveball or I want to play the. I was advocate in this because this goes against one of the core principles that used to be where you want people who are loyal to your company. Yeah. But a lot of things that I'm hearing now, it's like actually beneficial for people to have different work experiences. Mm -hmm. So how does, how do you find a synergy between diversity of employees in ex employee experience. So for employees to have diverse experiences as well. Yeah. Versus being loyal to a company and working there for a couple of decades. Yeah. I think loyal can be, we can be loyal in different ways. And uh, when we look at generations and when I also look at my parents, they grew up with lifetime employment. So when you work in an organization, you stay in that organization for the rest of your life uh, till the moment you retire. In my generation, that isn't the case. In my daughter's generation, it isn't, she doesn't even want to think about working at the same company for all those, for, for the next 50 years, for example. So I think loyalty is changing, but not, not the term loyalty, but how we perceive loyalty. 
what I see in organization loyalty now is, a, is for example, I work in your company, Jean-Luc, and I'm giving everything I have, my knowledge, and I'm bringing, bringing this in. I'm a good employee and we have an equal relationship. I give, you give, I take, you give, take. And that's loyalty for that moment. And then we move on. And then we'll be loyal to someone, to another company. So when you talk about loyalty, and I heard it a lot, I also hear a lot with family culture. That's also loyalty. And a lot of companies say, okay, but we have a family culture. And, and the first thing that comes in mind is, oh, you also have that uncle. And you can't say this or you can't say that. And we accept And you're not a diverse at all, right? Because everybody's family, so there's no diversification. No. No, no, no. And, and we're accepting the behavior of the uncle, of the auntie, and that's okay. But that's not inclusive. Because what, what behavior are we accepting and what, what not? And when we look at the core values of our culture, is it really family that we have to be? Is that the input or is that the output we want to realize? To close that part of it, Jean-Luc, on the loyalty or just working for one company for decades versus the job hopping as the newer generation uh, calls it. I also think it's not only just about, you know, there has been a lot of influence on the trends on social media, the developments of technology and the fields that have uh, developed, especially for jobs like marketing, that kind of something every company needs. So they go browse in different things, look for different experiences, look for different days, look for different sizes of companies as well to get that experience. And one of the things that I've noticed or observed as well is not just the diversity in, in increased diversity experience and knowledge, but also uh, the optionality to have a higher chance to get a, in a better pay bracket. Usually it's two to three years. You have a better chance for applying to a new job instead of trying to get the promotion at your current job. And that's also the incentive, the the motivator that people go job hunting. So have you encountered that with the people you've worked with, with especially the younger generation? Is that a driving force to them not being as loyal to one company and searching for different options? Yeah. Aside from the war on talent. Yeah. But they believe they are, te- uh, they are loyal. So that's also a different perspective from generations because they say, okay, I'll give my time to you. I give my knowledge to you. So they are loyal, but I think that throughout the generations, if we want to define loyal of the different generation, also within that different generation, we're going to describe it different and it feels different. And, and also, uh, devil's advocate uh, for you as Jean-Luc, do you want to hire someone who worked 10 years in one company or someone that worked in different companies? So someone had different ideas. Well, I'm going to know different cultures. I'm going to be honest with you. In most cases, I would, I would go for somebody who is, who is loyal. But here's the interesting thing that you just mentioned, and I, and I completely agree with that. And that's, that's the fun thing about these conversations. There's different kind of loyalties. Mm-hmm. And there is, you can say like, hey, I'm loyal to the company while I work there, and I would yeah. do everything in my best interest for the company. 
But you could also have somebody who says like, hey, I'm loyal to the company. I've mm -hmm. worked here for 40 years. But that person is sabotaging every process in the company and all the progress that company needs to make. So in some cases, I wouldn't say in every case, just like you won't say in every case, it's mm -hmm. the case that somebody who says, yes, I'm loyal, is actually loyal to the company. But in some cases, you have people who have been loyal to the company, mm -hmm. but actually they're not valuable to the company. So that's also an issue. And that even goes stronger yep. when you have really good talent and you can't keep on to that talent for whatever reason. And the talent moves away and you become less diverse. You become less valuable as a company. But you don't realize that that person that just left the company is the reason for that. So these are kind of things that make you indeed think about generational shifts where something was perceived as the norm in the 90s mm -hmm. and in the 2000s, which isn't the norm anymore. And mm -hmm. I think from that perspective, I would agree and say, like, I want to diversify a little bit more. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, sometimes for me, go back to the original question, talent does come first because there are certain qualities that my clients require. And mm -hmm. I think that's maybe where there is a national cultural difference between the Netherlands and Suriname, for instance, that clients here are less focused at the moment still on the diversity and inclusion part mm -hmm. and more focused on, on, on the short-term benefits for the company. So I think that's, that's where the difference comes in. But I still think it's interesting to see from a long-term perspective that these shifts are definitely coming. And loyalty doesn't mean, yes, I worked 40 years for you. But mm -hmm. loyalty also means I'm acting in the best interest of the company and not my personal interest yeah. as an employee within a certain position in that company. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And what do you see? You, you mentioned just a challenge within this topic, within Suriname. What do you see? What kind of chances do you see on this topic for your country? Oh, there are a lot of, there are a lot of, and I have a big discussion and that's the last thing I'm going to say about it, but I have a big <laughs> discussion on ethnicity in, in Suriname because yeah. in, in a lot of developing countries, but also especially in politics, it's being used from both sides. So politics mm -hmm. uses the et ethnic agenda to gather more votes, but yeah. also the local population votes ethical, ethnical just to yeah. get a certain insurance from the politicians as well. So yeah. it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, all, it's not really fair to, to just address one party and blame them for everything because there are mm -hmm. multiple factors. But what I find interesting, specifically in Suriname, where we have a very diverse audience, is we often look too much at the negative aspects that get connected to ethnicity, mm -hmm. and we don't look enough at the positives of mm -hmm. those ethnicities. For some reason, with food and with music, we really notice that there's a synergy there, that there's integration, mm -hmm. that there's even assimilation into different foods and music. But when it comes to other aspects, we kind of forget about it. But in the workforce, it's the same thing. If there's different ethnicities within the workforce, you shouldn't focus on the negative side. So for instance, we have a certain group 
of, of people that they're not really structured, but they're really creative. And this mm -hmm. is one of the biggest discussions that we have because this is not just, it's not based on ethnicity alone. There's like, you mentioned 10 different factors that play a role. But one of the biggest discussions that we have in our social media agency is there's creatives and there's project managers. Mm -hmm. In general, I'm going to stereotype here a lot, but for it works for this argument. In general, the project managers are more structured, are more punctual, will focus more on if we promise the client we have to do this, we have to deliver in, in this time frame according to these standards. Whereas the creators department says, we want to make content that actually scores well with the target audience of our client. And there is a disconnect there where you can focus and say like, yes, but the creators are not punctual and they don't meet their deadlines and they don't follow the structure and they don't do this. And the creators can say like, well, but the project managers are unimaginative and they don't come up with proper solutions and they're yeah. not creative. So you can go to the negative side, but you can also say like, hey, no, I need this creator to come up with this creative solution for me which I won't be able to find and the client will really like it. And the creator can also say like, hey, I need this project manager to help me get the structure and the overview so that I plan my week properly, that I get all my work done. And yeah. finding the synergy between the two, and I think that's what diversity and inclusion is about, is finding like the benefits from every group within your organization to, to bring it together. But often, and especially in situations where there's a lot of pressure and there's also like a risk and reward structure in place yeah. for the company, then we often see that it, it goes to the blame game or just finding the negative aspects of these diversities, making yeah. even management and, and, and staff and C-level staff going like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm willing to invest in this because yeah. it's going to give me more work. And I think that it's also important that you mentioned that certain groups of employees they no longer are, they don't see themselves fit anymore to bring major changes to the way they've worked. And once they understand that, like, hey, if I change my approach, it's going to cost me two years to change my approach, but it's going to give me 10, 20 years of benefits once mm -hmm. I've changed those approaches. And yeah. I think that's where we get stuck in because it, it requires a lot. One from... The, the resources that you have to spend to make it possible and to the worry that what if it doesn't work? I think that's a nice closing off. And I do want to thank uh, Madhu for not just highlighting diversity. It's more than just, you know, racial backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, yeah. gender backgrounds. It's also about what can you bring in about the, in your example, John, look, and the way of thinking, the, the knowledge, that's also diversity. Mm -hmm. The skills, that's also diversity. And I think a lot of people kind of have that misconception or don't put enough emphasis on those parts and mainly focus on, oh, we need gender diversity or, yeah. oh, we need uh, ethnic diversity. And I think especially the bigger companies should have more conversation on that. And if you're small starting out, you know, you have an advantage. Just have that horizontal level and go based on skills and merit and then build up from there. With that being said, Madhu, do you have any final closing thoughts and where can people reach out or find you if they want to know more? 
Yeah. So as you looked, uh, told in the beginning that my, my book was coming out in English. So the, the 11, uh, 11th of September, the book is coming out. So that's, that's really nice. And maybe a tip, a tip to start because sometimes the, the topic can be, can feel a little bit of complex and, and, and sometimes a little bit itchy. A tip you can, you can, what you can do tomorrow is when you make a decision, did you really look at those different perspectives? So also in your, in your team, if you want to make a decision, search those different perspectives and then make the decision, not only from your perspective. And that means asking questions and just listen and listen. Listen what the other person has to say. Listen not to react, listen to understand. So that is my, my tip that I want to want to give to you and every, everyone who is, who is watching. You can find me on theinclusieveorganisatie.nl and I also, I think we're going to share some, some information. We, we uh, would definitely put the links uh, yeah, okay. in the description of the, of the episode for sure. Yeah. And what socials could people reach out if they're interested in connecting with you? On LinkedIn, you can find me on the Madhu Matura and also on Instagram. You can find me also on the Madhu Matura or the Inclusive Organisatie. Yes. Awesome. Diego, as always, it's been a pleasure for this episode of Social Convos. Maru, it was a pleasure to have you as our guest. We want to wish you the best of luck with your book for people. If you're interested, if you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to head out to Maru's website or connect with her on LinkedIn or Instagram. This has been another Social Convos. We look forward to seeing you here back next week, same place, same time. Bye-bye.